The Old Testament reading for the first Sunday in Lent comes from Deuteronomy chapter 26, 1 through 11. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall make response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father. When he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, and there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle reading comes from Romans chapter 10, 8 through 13. <clears throat> the word is near you, in your mouth and in your hearts. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. according to St. Luke, the fourth chapter. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. 
And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. This first Sunday in Lent, our assigned Gospel reading has Jesus coming up out of the Jordan River Valley out of the water, led by the Spirit then, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for a period of 40 days. And those 40 days, I think, are reminiscent of uh, Israel's wandering in the wilderness when they turned their back on God there at the Jordan River when they were about to go in and they said, we can't do it, meaning God is not going to help us. God is not our God. And so they had to wander by God's command, wander in the wilderness for 40 years as God tested them to see whether they would be his people or not. And they fell time and time again to the temptations of the devil, turning away from Yahweh, their God. And now Jesus here, of course, stands in for Israel, stands in for the church, stands in for you and me and for all who have given in to those temptations of the devil and so have earned the wages of sin, which is death and hell. Jesus stands in for all of us and he is subjected here to all kinds of temptations by Satan. The scriptures say that he was tempted in every way as we are. Adam fell, the Israelites fell, we have fallen. What will be Jesus' fate? Will he give in? I want to pick out three words from our gospel reading for our consideration this morning from Luke chapter 4, verse 2. Those three words are, he was hungry. Now we know who he was, of course. It's Jesus called the Christ or Messiah. Jesus was a very common name for a man in the first century there, first century Israel. It's the Greek form we know of Joshua, and there were many men named Jesus. But this Jesus is not just any man. You know about his miraculous virgin birth. We've celebrated that at Christmas time. You've heard the angels speaking to Mary, his mother, 
telling her that it was going to be the Holy Spirit who would overshadow her and she would conceive and bear a son and he would be called the Son of God. Joseph gets the same message from an angel also. The shepherds, the wise men, Hannah and Simeon in the temple, they all attest to the fact that this Joshua, this Jesus, is no ordinary human being. He is, in fact, God in the flesh, God incarnate. God come down to earth to be hungry. So what do we mean by that? Here we have this God-man, Jesus, coming out to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. And, and then, uh, as he comes up out of the water, we have the confirming voice of God from heaven. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus is led out into the desert. Some of the writers say driven out into the desert by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil. And here in the wilderness we find Jesus and he's been there for 40 days now uh, and he has not had anything to eat and he is hungry, Luke says. And this is God's will. This is God's will that Jesus is hungry. And I think there's a, a marvelous parallel here with Genesis and with the catastrophic failure of Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam is well provided for. Yeah, he has myriad wonderful fruits there in the garden, growing on the trees. God says you can have all of it, all that you want here except the one. Adam didn't have to take balance of nature fruit and vegetable supplement every day. He lacked absolutely nothing there when it came to food. And yet, Adam was hungry. He was hungry for the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God had placed there in the middle of the garden. In the midst of this overabundance of delightful and satisfying food, Adam is hungry. He craves more. He craves power. He wants to be like God. And can't you and I identify with that? Wouldn't we like to have control over our lives, know what's coming around the next bend in the days ahead, be able to avoid pain and sorrow for ourselves or for others, make everything work out in a way that really maximizes our happiness. Be able to decide for ourselves what's right and wrong. Forsaking all that God had provided, Adam wanted what God had not provided. He wanted to provide for himself. He was hungry. And so he reached out his hand and he took what he wanted. He took what he hungered for. And it was like the whole of creation was shattered. Adam's fall was the fall of all creation, the fall of every man, woman, and child to come, every single one of us. And here now is Jesus, 40 days in without food. God could have cared for him. Uh, God, remember you, you remember how he sent ravens to feed Elijah? had a brook of water there for Elijah out in the wilderness hiding out. Why not here for Jesus? 
nothing comes to Jesus. Luke says he was hungry. And what will happen? Will this second Adam be obedient to God? Will this second Adam submit himself to God's authority? Will this second Adam have no other gods before Yahweh? Adam has every good thing he needs laid out at his feet by the Creator, but he is dissatisfied. He reaches out his hand for more. In essence, he's saying, God has not fully supplied my need. There is something lacking here, and I will take it. I will reach out my hand and take it myself. And that phrase, I think, sounds strangely familiar to me. In how many ways has my flesh repeated it? On how many different days, as I went my own way, or as I was dissatisfied with what God had provided for me? Jesus is hungry, but he does not reach out his hand and make bread for himself. Satan was very targeted in his temptation. But Jesus is satisfied with God's provision, satisfied that God will provide for all of his needs, whatever that might be. In essence, Jesus does what Adam failed to do. Jesus looks to his Father alone for his providence. Whatever God wills for me, I will be satisfied, Jesus says. And Job says the same kind of thing. Job says in his terrible affliction, when everything's been taken away from him and he has nothing, uh, when his children have been killed, uh, and he, he, now he's lost his health too, and he's sitting there in sores, and he says, though God slay me, yet will I trust in him. Job says it, but Jesus is the one who lives it. Jesus trusts God alone. Adam did not. Our flesh does not. In our lack of trust, we are spiritually dead and headed for destruction. But the Lord reaches out and takes us. He reaches out with his outstretched arm, brings us back from the point of death and destruction with a mighty hand, just like he did for the Israelites out of Egypt. In Deuteronomy 26, our reading for today, then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And we recognize there, of course, in Moses' words that, yes, he's talking about Israel's rescue from slavery in Egypt, but isn't it just the perfect, apt, and fitting description of our own slavery and our own rescue from sin, death, and the devil? God sees our affliction. He sees our toil. He sees our complete fall, and he knows our sinful desire to reach out and to take and satisfy the hunger of our flesh, not trusting his goodness, not hoping in him, and yet in love with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and the great deeds and signs and wonders of Calvary and the empty tomb, he rescues us and brings us to the promised land of salvation, a land flowing with milk and honey.
this God-man, Jesus, obeyed in every way his Father in heaven. Not one time, not even in the slightest way, did he go the way of Adam and rebellion to God. And yet, we find him just a couple of years later nailed to a cross outside the walls of Jerusalem in sight of the temple where the slaughter of the Passover lambs has taken place. And there are the leadership, the chief priests of Jerusalem. And it harkens back to our reading today where Jesus is in the wilderness and Satan says, make loaves for yourself, and he refuses. Well, they're on the cross, you know? He couldn't save himself, they taunt him. And I don't wonder if those were some of the greatest temptations of his to come off the cross. But he doesn't do it. He suffered the torments of hell there for Adam's sin, for your sin and my sin. And God did, in essence, slay him. He was the sacrifice that God provided for our sin. And even here in his final breath, his hope is in his God. And he commits his spirit to God his Father even though his father has turned his back on him and has not eased his affliction, has not taken it away. Even then, forsaken by God, Jesus is obedient. In the greatest sense here, Jesus was hungry because he was in the greatest need. Though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. Verses 3 and 4 of the hymn that we just sang. Long on earth the battle rages, since the serpent's first deceit, twisted God's command to Adam, made forbidden fruit look sweet. Then the curse of God was spoken, you will lie crushed beneath his feet. Jesus came, this word fulfilling, trampled Satan, death defied, bore the brunt of our temptation, on the wretched tree he died. Yet to life was raised victorious by his life, our life supplied. By his life, our life supplied. And, and Origen, this uh, early Christian bishop who was born in, in Egypt, in Alexandria, uh, about 150 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, Origen writes, Christ has flooded the universe with divine and sanctifying waves. For the thirsty, he sends a spring of living water from the wound which the spear opened in his side. From the wound in Christ's side has come forth the church, and he has made her his bride. And this is not just Origen's idea, other ideas. Other people have talked about this too, the spear thrust and the water that comes out and the blood that comes out. The church is born of that water and blood. The water symbolizing baptism, the blood symbolizing the blood of Christ that we receive in Holy Communion. If Christ had not died there on the cross, if he had not allowed himself to be hungry, if he had not submitted to God's will and been our sin bearer, if he had not offered up his life, then Adam and Moses, St. Paul, St. John, Origen, you, me, we all 
would still be lost and dead in our sins. And there would be no church. But St. Paul writes, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. Praise God, because he has atoned for our sin by the valiant one whom God himself elected in, in Luther's famous hymn. Christ is crucified and risen from the dead for our salvation. And this gospel has been preached throughout the world and the church has brought it to our ears and we've been baptized and we've been brought into the family of Christ, made his child, made the child of God, part of the church. And we've continually been fed with the word and with the sacrament, with his own body and blood. And our faith is being nurtured, being strengthened by God as the Holy Spirit works to sanctify us and prepare us for that glorious return of Christ, our bridegroom, at the end of the age. We are the church of God, redeemed saints who confess Christ as our risen Lord and Savior. We are the church, not a borrowed building, not a, a new one under construction at 4949 East Eastman, not the great cathedrals, not the small country church, not even the house where saints might meet on a Sunday morning. The church is the body of Christ on earth that gathers together to praise God for the wonderful work of salvation and to be strengthened by Him through word and sacrament, whether in a great hall or under a spreading tree. And we as His church, we are full of eager anticipation and great joy, looking forward to His return and telling others the good news about Jesus. And until His return, until that day comes, the peace of God will keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.